Well, good morning. We're so glad to see you on this beautiful Labor Day weekend. Could you turn to someone around you and say good morning to them and welcome them? We are glad that you are here. Uh, Today is our last day in the Apostles' Creed as we finish up this morning. Last time that you will hear that intro video, I know. But if you would like that, uh, you can find it online, I am sure, and uh, enjoy that for the rest of the fall if you would like that. But it plays in your head for a while. It's kind of the, one of those, what, we, what they call mind worms. You know, it gets in there and it kind of rolls around for a while and you have to replace it with something else. So I promise that starting next week, as we start through the book of James together, we'll give you something else to replace it with. Okay, so just hang on. But uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, we are going to bounce around to a number of places. But we will end up in the book of Second Corinthians. If you want to turn there for a moment, it'll be a while before we get there. Uh, chapter 1 and verse 20. But we'll stop off uh, at a few places. First of all, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 41 and verse 47 and verse 1. And we'll just kind of give you some things as we go through this today. I'm excited about talking to you today about the word amen. And you say, you know, we have gone through all of this and it would be somewhat, uh, I guess, um, uh, kind of not right if we finished it up with, and not actually finished it by the word amen. And so we've gone through the creed together for the last 12 weeks, today being the 13th week uh, as this study has progressed. And so what I want to do for a moment is I want us to have a little fun. Now, we've had a, we've had a long summer of Trinitarian theology as we've talked through this, and this is pretty heavy stuff as we've talked through it for the past 13 weeks. And so um, I just want to kind of have a little fun with you today. Now, if this is your first time or last week was your first time with us through the Trinity, it's through the uh, Apostles' Creed, don't worry because it's okay. It's, it's fine. It's not like you're going to be behind this morning. So hang on for a moment. But let's have fun for a moment. Church is supposed to be fun. And so what I've thought about is that we have this diverse group of ages that come to Hope Fellowship. And I love that. That is absolutely amazing. But what I realize is that when you get older, some of the freedoms that you have in life somewhat escape you. They do, you know. And, and I told the staff this week that I wanted to call this teaching this morning uh, crustiness proofing. You know, I didn't say, no, that's not really, that is, that's not well, because that's really what we're going to talk about. But I, but I do that. You know, when you're younger, you simply, um, you, you do things that sometimes when you get older, and I don't know who I'm talking about when I say older, so you just wear it if you want to wear it, you know, whatever. But, but when you're younger, you kind of do things because you really don't care what people think, you know. So you rejoice, you, rep- you play, you're, you're glad in a way that maybe for some of those in the room that might be older, maybe it's a little embarrassing to you to do those kinds of things. And I think as we get older, we become crusty. We really do. Say, Mark, that's a terrible thing to say, you know. But we do become crusty sometimes. And, and so here's what I want to learn from those that maybe are a little younger. One is this. I made a kind of a list for myself. To marvel. To marvel again. Because I think sometimes life tends to rob us of those things. To, to marvel and to awe at the things that God has given to His children. I said the second thing was this. To believe that all of the creative order was given, one, for the glory of God, and two, for our joy as His children. That the God of the Apostles' Creed is truly committed to my joy. No matter what happens in life or what I've experienced or what I've cataloged in my life's experience, that God is really committed to my joy. But what I understand about life as we live it for a while, as we get a little crusty and we lose some of those freedoms, and as a result of losing some of those freedoms, we don't believe fully that God is truly committed to our joy in our life. And what I realize when I go to Scripture, 
and I understand, is that the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible, I think would sometimes have me act like those that are younger than I am. And that's what we're going to do for a moment. And some of you are getting nervous. I feel the anxiety level in the room rising because you don't know what is about to take place. I do. But what I understand is this, that those that are younger sometimes act more exuberantly and they rejoice in a different way than I do. And then I maybe be a little more reserved and sometimes so we need each other. It's an integration of that of the young and the old. And that's what truly makes up the body of Christ. I want to explain this thing of integration. It's this, that what happens is that God has given us, I have some uh, illustrations here, that God has given us a mind. He really has, yes. And you say this to your kids sometimes, God has given you a brain Please use it, you know? And so God has given us a mind, and our mind is for understanding. So what we've done over the last 13, 12 weeks together through studying the Apostles' Creed is that we have gathered some information about who God is and about the attributes of God and those kinds of things, about the Trinity, uh, about the redemptive work of Christ, all those things that are very uh, staples for our relationship with the Lord. So we have that in our mind as our mind is understanding. But here is that next process and that is that it has to come down to our heart believing. That our mind understands, and I know that we have talked about this so many times, but I think it's well to go over it again, that, that our mind has an understanding of these things, but yet our heart has to believe. There has to be this transition within our life to believe. And that's where a lot of us get stuck. That we get stuck with just knowing these things about God and going through something like this, but yet we never get to this part about believing and it's a truly an integration of the holistic man is what it is, that of our mind and our heart. And then what it leads to after we believe is this. I try to get them symmetric, you know, so, so that they look right, because you know how I am, right? And, and that is that we're moved to action. So this is the way it works in our life. God created us, wired us this way, that we understand with our mind, we get all this information, and then it moves to our heart to believe. Uh, many times, here's the problem, that there's this great cavern between that of that understanding in our mind and that of believing. And when we get in our heart and believe, it inflames our heart to believe. That's why the creed starts with, I believe, and it doesn't start with, I know. Why? Because just knowledge doesn't always move us to action. But belief always moves us to action. So when we believe, when these things move from our head to our heart, we believe, then we, it is moved toward action and we live in this in obedience within our life. It's an integration of of our life, when we hear something and read something from the Word of God, then we get it into our mind, it moves to our heart, and then it manifests itself many times, maybe in our hands or in our, in our lives. So can we practice a little integration, integration for a moment? So, so here it is. I'll read this text and then I'll give you some instruction. Here it is. You ready? Here's the knowledge. Psalm 41 and verse... I'm excited about this. I really am. Yes, for those of you that this is your last Sunday with us, we love you. We really do, okay? We do. Yes, Psalm 47, verse 1. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Now, we've already sung, but the other part is the clapping part. So what I want to do is I want us to evaporate some of the crustiness from the room today for a moment. So on the count of three, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give Jesus a robust of round of applause on the count of three because we know what the scripture says it's in our mind it moves to our heart believing this is what god wants us to do the second step so then it has to result in some kind of action within our life are you ready are you ready 
Oh, I can feel the excitement already. Are you ready? Okay. On the count of three. One, we're going to give God a robust round of applause. Two, three. Let's do it. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. Woohoo! That's awesome. Man. That is great. You surprised me. I've never heard you make that much noise in this room, I don't think. Yes, that is wonderful. That's good. Okay, so now let's move on. Let me challenge you a little bit more. It's Psalm 98, verse 4. It says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in a joyous song and sing praises. The Hebrew word for, the word for that phrase, make a joyful noise, is the word shout. It is the word shout. So we hear that text, our mind is informed, it moves our heart, we believe this is the word of God for us, and then it simply is played out within our life, within our actions. So here's the thing, I don't want you to blow a vocal cord on me, okay? So hang on, all right? All right? But, but on the count of three, we're just going to shout Jesus. Can we do that? You say, Mark, we used to do this like at summer camp, those kind of things. Well, kind of go back for a moment. Again, I don't want you to get crusty on me, okay? So on the count of three, we're going to shout Jesus. Are you ready? One, two, three. Jesus! Wow! That is amazing. I, I, I have, can I hear it? Can we hear it one more time? One, two, three. Jesus! That's wonderful. That's, that is, I, I'm, I'm shocked, okay? I'm taken back. So can I challenge you one more time? No, I'm going to challenge you two more times, actually. Here's the, so, and, and I have to go here, so you got to love me. Doors are locked. You can't leave, okay? Psalm 149, verse 3. Let them praise him with dancing. Oh, you knew that was coming, didn't you? Yes. I mean, I, I know that you know it. Like all the Baptists are saying, you know, we don't dance. Well, at least we don't dance in here, okay? The Pentecostals are saying we dance in here, but we don't dance anywhere else. So, so you know, you, some of you are happy. Some of you are sad about all that right now. Now, here's the thing. Okay, so just relax for a moment. Take a deep breath because I just feel the anxiety level going out of the roof right now. So just take a deep breath for a moment and realize that we're not going to... I don't know. You know, I'm kind of out of step with some of these things. So I wrote some things down here <laughs> that we're not, we're not going to... I said whip a nay-nay, but that's not really what it is, okay? It's whip and nay-nay, okay? It's not whip and nay-nay. That sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? We're not going to do that. And, and, um, but my, my granddaughter did teach me the floss, okay? I don't know if you've seen that or not, okay? I don't know if you've seen the floss or not, but I don't understand it. It's not something you do with your teeth. It's a dance, okay? You know, and it's kind of odd. You put your hands like this, and you do like this, like this. It's kind of floss, like that. I know, I know. It's like that. So anyway, <laughs> my daughter-in-law dared me to do that this morning, and I think I just hurt my hip. Actually, I did, <laughs> because I feel a pain right there for some reason. Okay, all right. So that's not what this is about. All right. So can I can I get you to do one more thing? Because you, you've you've didn't, but you've been so cooperative for a moment. Okay, and and do this. Could you stand with me for just a minute? I'm not going to have you dance. Okay. Because I know that for some of you, that's way out of your comfort zone. If you're comfortable doing this, fine. Not in judgment time. So if you're not, then be, just be seated. But, but on the count of three, and I don't know if you've ever done this in church, but on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to jump one time for me. No, jump three times. Let's just push it out. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, we're Trinitarians. Okay? But on the count of three, we're just going to jump three times together, and that's going to be our dance, you know? You don't move your hips. You don't thrust or anything like that, okay? But we're just going to jump. Are you ready? Here it is. 
Because we've, we've, we've read this in the scripture. We believe this is what God is saying. Somebody say, I don't believe that mess. Okay. And we're moved to action. All right. Are you ready? We're going to jump three times. One. Here we go. Now, don't blow an ACL or whatever, or whatever thing is on me. Okay. On one, two, three. Jump. One, two, three. That's amazing. Look at this room. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Be seated before somebody breaks out in a dance, you know, and then like... Mark, you started something, you'll never stop. Can I challenge you one more time? <laughs> Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Now, somebody's saying, that's mine right there, you know? <laughs> yes, woo Finally, you've got to the one I've been waiting for. Because what I realize about God is this, that he loves God, God loves play. I don't know if you know that or not, but God, it's not like God is looking down from heaven and saying, man, I wish I'll get more serious about this thing and you know, get a little more crusty. That's not what he's saying. But God loves play and rejoicing and dancing and shouting and singing. But I think there comes a time, I know because of this text, there comes a time when God speaks to us and says, okay, it's time to just be quiet for a moment and to consider the great things of God and what he says to us to consider them in our brain, to allow our mind to absorb those things that God says to us. And then we allow them, by the power of the Holy Spirit, because this is truly a supernatural work in our lives, to, to work into our heart, into our soul. And when it works into our heart, it inflames our heart to believe. It inflames our heart to believe. That's, again, why we start, it starts with, I believe. And then once it gets there, it comes out in that of action. And I believe that if we take that moment to absorb the things that God speaks to us, and it goes into our heart and causes our heart to believe, then our praise, our rejoicing will even be louder and of greater volumes and of greater energy because of what God is doing within our lives. So we're going to take a few moments together. We're going to quiet our hearts. We're going to quiet our hearts. And we're going to contemplate on what God is saying to us. Whether this is your first week with us in the Apostles' Creed, or whether you've been through the whole 12 weeks of the summer, or you've watched them online with us, that we just simply contemplate on the things that God is speaking to us this morning. And at the end of the service, we're going to recite it, not now, but later on at the end, and then we're going to sing a song and we're going to rejoice together. Can I give you a little thoughts about the Apostles' Creed being the last time that we share this together. Not the last time that we recite it. It will not be that last time, but the last time that we do this in a teaching together. And one is this, that the Apostles' Creed, if you have this liturgical background and you come here this morning, and maybe this is your first time you're coming from a Catholic or an Anglican or a Reformed Presbyterian background, that you're thinking, yes, I have come to the right place because I see the Apostles' Creed and it makes you feel so much at home, and you're really geeking out on that. And some of you have wondered, maybe if this is your first Sunday and you come in here, do you thought, well, I didn't think it was that kind of church, you know, and can he really do that here? And I don't understand that. And some of you are thinking, I'd rather have had a teaching on the Song of Solomon or something like that, but not this and, and I think it's powerful that we understand what the creed is all about, and that is that it is a tool. The creed is a tool for spiritual formation. We've always said about Hope Fellowship that Hope Fellowship is about, we're about tools and not rules. We're truly about formation, not formality. And that is we're about growing you in Christ. And that is that you are informed, that you believe in your heart. And then when you leave this place, that you live out what you hear from the scriptures. We've talked about each week that it, this creed brings symmetry to our life. It brings a balance into all of our lives. It does that of who God is 
uh, and an understanding of who he is, a clarity of simply understanding God in a community that we understand who we are a part of and who we are with because so many people repeat this every time they get together and worship, and it's been done for millennia. And I think the first thing that we, un- have, we brought out in our teaching about the creed is that it's not about preaching the creed. Again, it's a, it's a tool that it's a reflection of some greater authority, that there's no authority in the creed itself, that it reflects directly the word of God and, and scripture. And the second is this, that the creed has this, this, this historicity behind it, this value so amazingly that for millennia that people have stood and they have recited this together, some at the risk of their very own life. And that we as Christians do not believe in incantation. So it's not an incantation. So the more you say it, it doesn't make you lucky or have more favor with God or, or somehow that God sees you in a different way just because you have memorized this. That's not what this is about. That's not it at all. But yet it is a tool for spiritual formation. And I trust that, that through this process, even today, that we allow the information that we hear from Scripture to come into our mind to somehow disseminate to our hearts and yet become action within our lives. And it integrates the whole being as God has wired us this morning. So later on when we say this together, what we say is this. That we affirm that these are tenets of our faith. That we agree that these are, these are stables of our faith. And so we reject all of those other things outside that the world would try to disciple us with. And we say, this is who we are, that we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We believe in the work, the redemptive work of Christ, the resurrection, the ascension, all those kinds of things as we go through all of this, that that, that is exactly where we stand, and we affirm that together. So what we're affirming is this, and I kind of did this as a summation of, of all these 12 weeks, and that is, first is this, we affirm that nothing is too hard for God. I want you to realize that, that nothing is too hard for God. For God, And that is something that you have to allow to come into your mind and allow the Holy Spirit to work that into your heart. And then you really live that way and it shapes your life that we just don't have this. God doesn't just have God. The Godhead doesn't just have fatherly attributes, but yet there is God the father in the Godhead. And it's important that we have this very distinct Christian understanding of the Trinity. And that is God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit. That, that God, with Him, nothing is impossible. We reject, we reject the theology of dualism. That is, that somehow that there is this clash of the titans in the heaven, that God and Satan are having this, this um, celestial sword fight, so to speak, and we're praying that somehow God wins. That is not the way the Bible teaches this, not in any form or fashion. In fact, I saw on social media this week this post, and I don't know, I don't think the person that posted it is here. If you are here, please go and remove it from your Facebook page because it shows God and it shows Satan in an arm wrestling contest is what it does. And I want to tell you, you don't arm wrestle with God. Do you know that? Realize that? That he is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all life. And when I read the scriptures, what I realize is this, that Satan looks more like a muzzled dog on a leash than anything else. And so nothing is, nothing is too hard for my God. Absolutely nothing. And so when, when we talk through the, the creed, we said this, that our God is infinitely powerful. 
but yet he is simultaneously intensely personal in our lives. And that shapes us in the day of trouble within our life. It really does. And I think sometimes we tend to look at God without that symmetry, without that balance, and we think of God as just being all-powerful, and we struggle with that personal part of God. We look at God and we say, God, if I just check off all the boxes and I make you happy, then you will somehow leave me alone. And we sort of treat him maybe as if we did our Heavenly Father. And there's nothing wrong with you pursuing a godly lifestyle and holiness within your life and and pleasing God by keeping his commandments. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Yet simultaneously, I have to look at the scriptures and realize that God delights in me. God delights in me even when I mess up and don't keep all the rules. And I think you have to understand that. Because even when I look at the Ten Commandments, what I realize is there is no way that I will ever keep all those rules. And it was never given to you and I with that intent whatsoever. It was given to you and I to always push us back to the source of help and the source of strength. And that is Christ within our lives. Understand that. This is not about me just somehow pleasing God so God will somehow leave me alone and not bother me anymore. That's not what it is. But I think sometimes also some of us see him as intensely personal, but we don't see him as that of being all-powerful. We don't. Can I tell you, there is, a, there is a place in all of our lives for a holy reverence and a holy fear of God. Understand that. God is not our homeboy. He is not. He is the creator of all that we know today. Understand that. And he is not. So there is this place in my heart, in my life, for this holy reverence and this holy fear of who God is. And so God is all-powerful, and there is nothing impossible to him. Absolutely nothing. And when I frame God in that light, then that shapes the day of trouble for my life to know that God is all-powerful. Whether the storm stops or the storm rages within my life, those things, that's up to God. But it doesn't change the fact that nothing is too hard for him. Nothing. Nothing. I think you need to understand that. Because that truly shapes the way we live in those days of trouble within our life. That nothing is impossible to him. I don't care how bad. Here's the thought. How many have had a really stressful week? Let me see your hand if you had a really stressful week. Okay? You say, Mark, I've had a stressful life. Okay, you don't understand, right? You just don't understand. And, and when we look at God and it's like nothing is impossible to him, it shapes our time or it shapes that day of trouble for our lives, that he is infinitely powerful, intensely personal within our life, and it shapes us during that day of trouble. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for God. The second thing, I, I, in a summation of all of we taught over the 12 weeks, is this, that all of our sins, all of our mistakes are Freely, fully, and forever forgiven. They are. They're all forgiven. We read a text, and I, got, I have to read it to you again from the book of Exodus 34 and verse 5. And I love this text. I read it a few weeks ago. I have to read it again. The Lord descended in the cloud. He stood with him there. He, he, he proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Talking about Moses. He's on the mountain of Sinai. He's Mount of Sinai. We know that the, the Israelites are down below and they're creating the golden calf because they think that God has forgotten them. And, it's, and he says this, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. I, I, 
And the question is, do we believe all of those things about God? And he goes on to say, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and to the fourth generation, that God is merciful. I believe that. I believe that. Not just that I hear that information in my mind and I somehow catalog it there, but the Holy Spirit brings that into my heart and it inflames my heart into to belief. And then when I realize that, then it simply is played out in action in my life. Not only do I live under mercy, but I show mercy to others because God has first shown me mercy. Yes. Absolutely. That when I'm trying to get somewhere in a hurry and the person in front of me tries to to drive the speed limit and keep the law and do the right thing, but I'm in a hurry that I show them mercy. Isn't that right? Yes. Yes. I don't, I don't like tailgate them three inches from the back bumper of their car, you know, and the whole time it just, you know, I'm, I got show them mercy. I do. I show them mercy within my life. And, and I, I begin to think about all these things. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfastness, love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love and never runs out. It's the true character and the attributes of God. But do you believe that God is all of those things? I have to ask you that this morning. Do you believe that God is all of those things? Yes. Because if God is merciful, if he's slow to anger, if he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, then forgiveness of God is the ultimate uniqueness of our God. It is the thing that helps us to understand God clearly, that he forgives So I don't care what you've done, where you've done it, how many times you have done it, or who you have done it with. It doesn't, yeah, understand this. Yes, does that matter? Absolutely. Sin, God does not take sin lightly. The 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 last part of that text explains that. It does. But what I understand is this, that God forgives. God forgives. That if we could somehow wire you into our system this morning? You think, Mark, you've already had us jump, shout, clap, all that. Now you're going to wire us up? If we could wire you into our system and somehow download your brain and your memory to the screen up here, say, oh, now the anxiety level is getting high, you know? And, and we, could, we could simply go into your mind and your memory and we could, we could view with everyone in this room all the dastardly deeds of your life. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing? Now you know that you're never coming back here again. You know, because you're afraid we have that ability. We don't. But God knows those things. Can I tell you, no matter how dastardly all the deeds of your life are, God forgives. Oh, man. He forgives. You're forgiven this morning. You are forgiven. So you've, you've jumped, you've shouted, and you've clapped, and you've spoken to the person next to you. So we've removed all of those barriers in your life. Isn't that wonderful? All of you that are introverts are now extremely extroverts within your life this morning, you know? And you're going to talk to people you've never talked to in your life. So could you turn to the person next to you for a moment and say, you are forgiven no matter what you've done in life. Could you say that to them? That you're forgiven no matter what you've done in life. Ah. <sighs> Do you feel how that changes the room? It is amazing what that does to know that you're forgiven. It is. Yes. That forgiveness is that he fully forgives you. He holds nothing back to remind you later on. See there, I told you. I knew you'd do it again. No, no. He, he holds nothing back. It, it, it's that it is freely that he doesn't say, all right, you got to pay back everything you've done. You got to make restitution. No, absolutely not. It is forever that he chooses to forget those sins of our lives. 
he forgives. And the third thing I think is that, that we have as a summation over these 12 weeks is this, that Christ will return one day. And, and I chose these words intentionally that he will make all sad things untrue. That he will make all sad things untrue. Matthew 25 and 31, and I don't think it's on the screen, when the Son of Man comes, and we said this a few weeks ago, in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And we know that that is a scripture that relates to or, or was the words of Christ sp- spoken around the time that he makes his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And he rides in as a king. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees are irritated. Who is this man? What right does he have and what authority does he have to do this? And so they, start, they start the debate about whether he is a king or not because they don't believe he is. And what Jesus says to him, but there will come a day. There will come a day where there will be no more doubt and there will be no more debate on who is the king and who is not because there will come a day when I will return and I will sit on my throne and all the angels and all the nations will set before me and it will be established in my glory that I am the true king, that he will return and truly that he will make all sad things untrue. And there will be no doubt. No doubt. But here's what I want to say to you. We read all these promises, but some of you struggle with the fact that they're for you. That's where you really struggle. You struggle with the fact that they they may be true, but are they really true for me? And what I have discovered about church folk is this. That church folk agree with that many times of the umbrella of theology, all the things that we talk about, and that if God does forgive sin and God is going to return and make all things right, they agree that he, he died on the cross, he was buried in a borrowed tomb, on the third day he rose, he ascended to the Father. They, we, we agree on all those kinds of things, but when it comes to your own personal sin... When it comes to your own personal faults and fears and doubts, all of the struggles of your life, can God forgive those? Can God deliver me from that? Can God help me in that area? I like that big umbrella of theology, but when it comes down to my life and my own personal life, when it gets personal right into my own home, I'm not sure that I really believe that. Because somehow there is this this barrier between that of the knowledge, those things that you know, and truly what you believe in your heart. You say, Mark, does that really happen? Yes. A few weeks ago, we ended with the story of the prodigal son. And I love the story because the story is so layered. You could preach a series out of that story. And, and it's such a layered story because here's what happens. The, the, the prodigal does not doubt his father's ability to forgive when he returns. Remember, he comes, from, comes to himself. He finds himself eating with the swine. He goes back to his father's house, but he has a plan. What is his plan? His plan is that when he gets back, that simply he's going to ask his father for forgiveness, but then he's going to be a servant in his father's house. So what he says is he doesn't doubt that his father will forgive. What he doubts is will his father truly forgive him personally. Because if he truly believed he would, then he would have never relegated himself to just be a servant. Because that would have not been forgiveness. And I think some of you have this knowledge of God. You read through this thing. Some of you have memorized it over these 12 weeks together. 
But what I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning as we finish this up, that this, these truths translate into your heart. They move beyond your head. You can come to church for 20 or 30 years and still somehow be stuck here, not momentary times, I guess, of there, there's this transition, there's this integration from what you know to your heart to how you live and how it shapes your life, but you struggle there. So how do I know? How do I know that these things are for me? I am glad you asked that, and this is what I finished with this morning. You know what? You always ask the, the right questions, and so thank you for asking that question. And, and here it is. It's, and and I, have to, I have to read this to you for a moment about promises, and then I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 1 and 20. But in the book of Genesis 12 and 1, it says this, and these are about promises. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you will I curse and in, look at this, the personal pronoun, and in you, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in you, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be truly blessed. And you think, this is a ridiculous thought. Because here's Abraham, and first of all, he's saying that I'm going to make a great nation of you, and Abraham really has no idea what he's talking about. And then secondly is that I'm going to make a great nation that's going to bless the earth, and this is God saying I'm going to bless the earth through a nation that does not yet exist. And then he says that I'm going to do this through you, that the promise is yours. But we struggle with that. Then I find a few centuries later in Second Samuel 7 and 16, Nathan speaking to David, he says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all of these words, in accordance with all of this vision, Nathan spoke to David. He said, David, that your throne will live forever through the lineage of, of, from your line, that it will live forever. And he's talking about Jesus coming from the house and the lineage of David. We know that, that it is for him. The promise is for him. And I pray today that the Holy Spirit would drop this deep into your heart that God's promises are yours. They're yours. 2 Corinthians 1 and 20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Isn't that a powerful statement? They find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. How do we know the promises of God are true for us? For all the promises of God find their yes in him. All of them. All of them. Do you know what? I looked up the word all in the Greek. Do you know what the Greek word for all means? Do you know what it means? It means all. <laughs> it's exactly right. Yes. You thought I was going to come up with some other real deep, you know, revelation for you. This No, it actually means all. Every one of them not holding back any, not the ones that you earn because you can't earn. But this statement is to bolster, to bolster your confidence in God. How do we know that all the promises are yes to us as believers? Because they are yes in Christ. They are yes in Christ. And I love the word yes. 
I don't, I don't always like to be told no. I find very few people who love the word no. Tell me no, and it really fulfills my life in a greater way. You know, no, we like to hear the word yes. And so what Paul is writing to the Corinthian church who are struggling with their identity in Christ and their purpose in Christ, he's writing to them and saying, hey, you find your yes in Jesus. So if you're struggling as to knowing is the promise for me or is the promise not for me or I'm not real sure and I'm judging it by the circumstances of my life, no, we find the yes in Christ. And so that solidifies it all. It really does. How do you know that God can be trusted when he says these things to you, that all your sins are forgiven? You look to Jesus you look to him, that answers it, that the yes is found in Christ. It's not in me because I make a very lousy savior within my life because I have tried that. No, it's not. But Jesus is the surety of our promises, just very much like the Holy Spirit is the surety of our salvation, that it simply says the yes is found in Christ. It's not in me telling you. It's not in Hope Fellowship, not in, but it's found in Christ. And it eliminates all of those questions in my life. And so when the day of trouble comes and I say, God, you promised me this. So I know this in my heart, I'm, in my head, I'm believing this in my heart and I'm going to live this out and I'm going to trust you. Not because what I just know, but in reality is the yes is found in Christ and he never changes. He's always the same. The yes is found in Jesus. And I love it. All the promises are in him. It's Jesus plus nothing. It is Jesus plus nothing. It's found in him. So I don't have to debate it. Man, I don't have to ha- somehow contemplate, is it or isn't it? Or I don't know. Maybe this is for some other person and this one is for me, this promise. All of the promises are yes in Christ. And he never changes. Does it? And I thought, oh, well, what about the amen? And, and, I, and, I, and I've said this, that amen has far more to do with confidence in God then it's just the way to hang up the phone. It is, you know? And, and that's what we view that word as. Then the last part of 2 Corinthians 1 and 20 says this, that that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Amen is this, I believe. It is I believe. I love the creed because the creed is bookended and is so powerful. It starts with I believe and it really ends with I believe. Let it be or this is so. It is bookended with, I believe. I believe in God the Father, it says. Amen. I believe that is true. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son. Amen. I believe that is true. That He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Amen. I believe that is true. Amen. Who suffered and died for my sins. Amen. I believe that is true. That was crucified and has ascended to the Father. Amen. That is true. I'm banking on my eternal existence with him. Amen. That is true. Why? Because the surety of that promise is given by Christ himself. So it never changes. It doesn't change. Am I going to have moments where I fluctuate in and out of that with doubt? Yes, I'm going to have those moments where I fluctuate in and out of that doubt because I am not perfect and I am human and we're all going to have those moments. But I go back to what we hear today at some point in my life that I know that the surety of all the promises, the yes of all the promises is found in Christ, not in this world, this life, government or anything else is found in Christ. 
And that goes into my heart, and I believe that, and so I live my life, I shape the day of trouble in my life based upon knowing that all of His promises are yes. They're yes. And so I trust Him. I trust Him. I believe this is true because Jesus is the yes. And I'm informed with that. It inflames my heart to believe And it works itself out in the actions of my life, in the day of trouble of my life, and through my life. So we believe this morning. We believe. Do you believe that Jesus is all of these things as we read from the book of Exodus? That is a huge question. We believe. Amen. Amen. We're going to read the creed together in a moment. But before we do that, would you bow your heads and let's pray for a moment. Father, we are experts at cataloging information. We are proficient at, Lord, being this walking collection of data about you and who you are about all the things that you do and maybe even all the promises that you've made in your word. But today, Lord, may we have understanding, yes, because it has to start with understanding. But may we have understanding, but may that understanding in our lives transition to belief in our heart. That you would somehow inflame our heart to believe in these things. That the yes that we find in life with the promises of God is not based upon some man. It's not based upon an organization. But Jesus is based upon you. That you are the yes to these things. And those things translate into how we live our lives. How it shapes us in the day of trouble of our life. So, Father, help us to take the things that we know of you, believe them with all of our might, and allow them to shape our lives daily. That you are our forgiver, that we are forgiven. That you didn't come, Jesus, to condemn, but you came to save, that we are forgiven. Yes. That God, that you are an intensely powerful God in our lives. Yes. And you are amazingly personal as our Father. So may we take a moment to just allow these things to seep into our hearts and believe for the impossible. Thank you, Lord, that this is not about a list or rules or things that we earn, but this is about 
you being the perfect father who loves to give to your children. And so we trust you today, Lord. For those that are needing forgiveness in their life, God, I pray that this moves beyond their mind to their hearts. For those that are believing for healing, physically, emotionally, mentally, that this moves from their mind to their hearts. For those that are praying for someone that's wayward, this moves from their mind to their hearts. For those that are struggling with their future, this moves from your mind to your heart. For those that are struggling with a relationship, this moves from your mind to your heart. Because, God, we know that nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. So we trust you today. We trust you today, Lord. And we give you thanks for how you are working in our lives, shaping us in the day of trouble. Because every promise is yes in you. And we trust you today, Father. In your name. Amen. So for the last time, would you stand with us, please? For the reading of the creed together. And then we will sing. Amen. I will say it for the last time. It's on the screens on both sides. It's on the banner behind us, and it's in your bulletin, so you can have that with you today. And I'm excited about reading this with you. Not for the last time reading it here, but in our series, but we will do this more. But let's read the creed together, and let's believe. Let us believe the things that we read this morning. Let us read together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell the third day. He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. Let's sing.